Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovation Deciphered. Today, my guest will be James Garner, who's from Gleeds. He's their head of data, and we're going to be talking about three really, really interesting topics. We lead off on AI and the adoption of large language models, the effect that may have on the culture of a business and the culture of adoption. Really, really interesting. We then move on to data sharing, particularly within the construction industry and what the barriers are, but also why it's important if we're to improve the efficiency of project delivery. And then finally, we have a really interesting discussion about predictive analytics and how that can perhaps be used to improve not only modeling cash flows on projects, but really making all sorts of judgments, not just in construction, but other businesses. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, James, and uh, thanks very much for coming on today's podcast. Absolute pleasure. It's great to have you here. Uh, just to get the audience warmed up, just tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry and what your role is now. Okay, so I mean, I trained as a quantity surveyor. I've been with Leeds for um, over 20 years, uh, believe it or not. It's hard to believe sometimes. And I've always had this interest in um, data and uh, IT and uh, tech in the industry going back all the way to my undergraduate days. And about three or four years ago, I moved into this new position of head of, uh, what, what is now head of digital operations within Gleeds. So it's been quite useful to sort of marry up that QS experience that I've had, the domain experience, with this kind of experience now in data and digital. And I did a course actually, and became a, a qualified data analyst over the course of the last few years. That was over lockdown. So um, yeah, it's been a kind of strange journey, but what's good about it is some of those challenges that I've seen in the industry that have always existed through my career in QSing, I'm being able to now help a team sort of break some of those using digital and data technologies and the amazing things that are starting to come out. Well, I mean, it's really timely that we've managed to persuade you to come in to talk to us today because we are seeing in our consulting work and within our own teams this proliferation of the use of AI mm-hmm. um, and we have seen significant benefits but mm-hmm. we're not here to talk about us. What's, what's your insights into the AI technology which is readily available at zero or low cost? Mm-hmm. How, how's that adoption happening in Gleeds? Okay, so I think you know, within Leeds or within the industry widely, the, the, the technology, the barrier to entry has come right down over the last few years. And these new amazing tools, you know, things like ChatGPT that people will be yes. familiar with. And before that, the use of things like Power BI for visualizations has enabled people to start dipping their toes in the water and utilizing these tools. Um, so people are definitely doing that, and that's becoming more and more available to people. There is still a cultural barrier I feel within and not just within our industry I, you know I've looked at parallels with other in, other industries as well I'm quite familiar with what happens for instance in the music industry there's still a lot of cultural barriers around adoption whether that's around fear or security and some of them are well founded but that's not going to stop 
the evolution and the evolution speeding up. This thing's moving at a huge pace. Um, so in some senses, you know, AI is the buzzword and everyone's talking about AI um, as, it, as if it's something brand new. Of course, AI as a wider concept has been around for a long, long time. Uh, actually, if you go all the way back, you could, you could argue that your thermostat is a type of AI. You know, you set a temperature and, it, and when it hits that temperature, something kicks in. I think the difference is the compute power has now caught up and the barrier to entry has caught up so that people can start utilising these tools and we can start training these models, things like ChatGPT, where people actually use it really easily and go, wow, okay, this is going to affect my workflows. This is going to affect the way that I do things. Um, so that, that's how we're seeing things uh, progress. There's, you've got the people who want to embrace this, they're excited about it, and they're, they're, they're trying to utilise it. And then on the other hand, you've got the people who perhaps fear it and you know, fear about, about either being left behind or fear rightly that the security is, you know, they can't be sure where this is going. And I think our job, or at least I see part of my job, is educating people about how to use this technology safely and how to not be scared of it and how to embrace it, but embrace it safely. That's some really interesting insights there. And we've certainly seen uh, you know, younger team members are embracing this very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, I suppose it's partly because the technology's nearer to them culturally, yeah. I, I guess. But also, when you're older, or much older in my case, <laughs> it's not just about fear, it's about having to change ways of working that have perhaps been entrenched for 30 or 40 years. And that in itself is a barrier, I think. Um, which I'm struggling with, but I will get there. So, but what the other thing that we've noticed I wonder whether you've seen this as well, is that about nine months ago, there was a really profound difference, because our outputs are reports, written reports, so that our, one of our key jobs that we do is produce reports for our clients, and we want them to be in excellent English, mm -hmm. both in terms of grammar and everything else, and they've got to read well as well. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we employ a lot of people who their English is not their first language. So for we had lots of procedures in place to uh, and, and resources put at proofreading, checking reports from those two aspects mm -hmm. as well as the technical bit. And overnight or from one month to the next, it suddenly changed. Yeah. Uh, things that took a lot of effort suddenly were read almost perfectly and really well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was the audit. Z that had to be turned to an S. Yeah. That sort of, it was that kind of level of minor typo type uh, changes that we had to pick up on. Mm -hmm. And it was astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it puzzled us for a bit until we found out how it was done. But of course it was being done through, not, actually not in this case, it wasn't Chuck GPT, it was another app, but nevertheless it was large language. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it made a profound difference. Absolutely. And therefore that, the quality's gone up and the efficiency has also gone up at the same time yeah. which and that's that, that's what people have been wishing for you know at all so what it enables us to do 
is cast our net wider in terms of talent pools. So, you know, if we were restricted before, and we talk about the, 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 the talent and the labour shortage within this country, but some of that was because of restrictions around people's, uh, you know, lack of being able to write in English, perhaps. That, that's, that's just been blown apart by this, uh, this technology. And it's funny you should say about, you know, it changed the quality overnight. I've even had people say, oh, I know when something's um, being used with chat GPT or a large language model because it's too good <laughs> you know and that, there, there is that as well sometimes you can spot that it's almost it's almost too good the, the the language but even that's getting better because they're starting to fine-tune models to reflect people's own personal styles but it's a one you know it's a wonderful thing when you think of it like that you've made a huge stride in your reports and you're enabling people to harness their intellect and getting through a barrier that they may, might have had in this case it was language it's no longer a barrier because technology has allowed them to do something. Yeah, That's an incredible I can give you two interesting examples there, which may be insightful for listeners. We've got one particular person who uh, doesn't work for us anymore, but her, her um, mother tongue was Mandarin. Mm-hmm. So what we found in her case was that when she started using a, a translation app, mm-hmm. a really, really high quality one, we, we found out something we could never have known, mm-hmm. that her written Mandarin was excellent. She was really, yeah. really good yeah. at writing in Mandarin. Uh, we've got other team members from uh, India or Indian heritage. Uh, they speak a variety of languages as a first language. There aren't those apps yet mm-hmm. that any of them have found. But in their case, they're using uh, open access mm-hmm. um, large language models to mm-hmm. help them. Mm-hmm. And, but there again, you get into the security issue. Yeah. About, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't want to teach uh, Microsoft how to do our work. Mm-hmm. So we have some rules around how, how that's used to keep the data safe and confidential. Yeah, particularly for our clients. Absolutely, and the, the the same issue I think with most companies, and and it's a that's an interesting point as well. Writing an AI policy, and you know you can go two two routes with it. There can be a a, a very lengthy kind of bible of what you must and mustn't do, or you can just say use your common sense, and this does not replace your professional duties. And I, th- I, th- I tend to think that second route's better because all this, all this is is a tool, like you say. And it's, in some senses, it's no different from when we started introducing word processors and spreadsheets into the industry. You, you, can make, you can still put garbage into a spreadsheet and garbage will come out, right? You can't then blame the tool. And I think it's the same with these large language models and, and visualisation apps and other AI apps. If you put rubbish in and you get rubbish out, you can't say, well... The tools to blame. Now, the, the the caveat to that is around security. You have to be really careful about what you're asking it. What certainly what you're uploading to it, yeah. because the 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 model will be trained on that. And that's something that I think again is common sense that people just need to understand. Same with anything. Just be careful what you're putting out there. I'd say it's the same if you were using post. You know, be careful what you put in the post. Be careful what you send an email. Be careful what you you know type into Google search. So I think people are getting hung up on this, and I can understand why because it's it is actually training a model, um, but the same process, you know, the same thought process is there. Just be 
use your common sense. Don't do anything stupid. Don't give away confidential client information. Yeah. It, and it's a whole new world, isn't it? Because, yeah. I mean, this, I don't think any... I'm not aware of people... Well, it, there was mass adoption of ChatGPT. Yeah, it was a zero to yeah. four or five million in a, in a week or something. Yeah, I dread to think what it is now. It'd be <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's astonishing um, that rate of adoption. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether you watch the chewing lectures over Christmas. The, yeah, the, the, the rate at which these things are developing. Yeah, uh, yeah. ChatGPT was trained on five hundred billion words. Yeah. Yeah, and that's only the latest model. They're they're working on the next model now. Of course, that's going to be. And, and all of the, the the nuances that can go behind that to improve its accuracy yeah. and uh, its potential cognition. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a that, that's a separate podcast. We weren't so right, and then we get into kind of existential kind of conversations about where's this going for humanity? Yeah. Because of course you've got the AI wars. We talk about ChatGPT, but Google are at it, Facebook are at it, Amazon are at it. And they're all fighting for this space that they know is going to be the future. So there's a huge amount of resources, money, time going into it. And I fear that sometimes at the expense of really understanding what, what, what the future holds. That's true. And I was looking at the values of the big data six. Mm -hmm. And they increased by an average of 60 to 70% last year. Yeah, wow. yeah. Uh, including people like NVIDIA, which... Yeah. All of their chips go into AI now. Yeah. They yeah. are they've got the brain they are making the brains. Yeah, Somebody else is training it, but they yeah. are making the brains. Yeah. The one that was really, really stunning was I think it was a week or two ago, Microsoft overtook Apple as the yeah. largest corporation in the world, and that is on the back, I guess, of people's expectations out of Copilot. Yeah. Uh, and they own ChatGPT, but the, the co-pilot within that's being released slowly into Windows 365, we're we're experimenting with that now, mm. um, and it's looking promising. Yeah. And it's only a really early adoption. We, we haven't bought the whole package or anything. We're just trying one bit. thing, and uh, you think, crikey, this yeah, revolutionise a lot. Because my team are telling me, or well, one particular thing that we do, it's it's reducing the time by ninety percent. Well, just using Copilot with Excel, it's like, well, you can talk to Excel. It's and like you say, it's not perfect yet. But I I think going back to the cultural question, if you've got the mindset or that you don't want to adopt these things because you've got fear, you'll find reasons to say, well, that doesn't work perfectly. Or I typed something into ChatGPT and it hallucinated and came up with some rubbish. That's not the point because it's going to get better. <laughs> like even if that's true to some extent, that doesn't mean that's not a reason to not adopt it because it's not going to stand still. And like you say, Copilot's going to become. In it, at the moment, it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a cost to it. Inevitably, it will start becoming more and more integrated into things. And it's interesting yeah. what you said about the Apple Microsoft thing. You know, they're going to be um, jostling for this kind of top spot. And of course, Apple haven't. It's interesting, you know, Apple really haven't declared what they're going to be doing fully in the AI space. They will be at some point. And of course, they're about to release their headset uh, in a few days' time. It'll be interesting to see what Which would be one of their most, the most expensive product ever. Yeah, it's about $5,000 or something stupid. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a start, isn't it? I mean, it's something that no one thought they needed. But it's fact, I'm still yeah. not convinced I need it, but well, I will probably be proven wrong. I was sure I didn't need a watch and I'm wearing one. <laughs> I'm just I'm checking my <laughs> <laughs> I remember when that came out, everyone said the same thing. Why would anyone want a, a watch on their wrist? But everyone seems to buy them now. 
they've got their, their marketing and the way that they you know are able to impact people's desires is very very interesting so i think you know i know we're going off topic a little bit but i think it'll be quite interesting to see what happens because i think all these technologies are technologies are interlinked in terms of vr ar ai blockchain all these things they're going to kind of work with each other to increase this exponential growth yeah i've got a similar feeling mm. i'm i'm sort of optimistic that it's going to make a profound positive impact on people's sort of daily experiences mm. about how things can be better so you take that why mm. do i wear that rather mm. than i've got an omega at home which mm. i'm you know, really nice omega i never wear it yeah because i want it to monitor my health data. yeah exactly yeah. i want it to monitor my health data so why wouldn't I do it? Yeah, that, that's why I wear it. Even though you've got to put it on charge every night, you've got to remember all that, you know, and it's probably not doesn't look quite as nice as your Omega. You still you 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 it wins hands down. It wins. It wins hands down, and of course the next generation that's already out, you only have to charge it twice a week. Yeah, exactly. So that sort of problem at the moment, yes, you're right. I I charges when I'm in the shower. That's usually just about enough. Yeah. What difference it make? I'm not going to wear my homework in the shower. So, yeah. um, we have gone off topic, but in an interesting <laughs> way. So, uh, there's a slight digression there. Right, we've spoken a lot about uh, this profound uh, adoption of AI and it's beginning to have significant impacts on what we do in business as well as our, our daily lives. But, of course, the thing that gets used to be the big topic hot topic of conversation in the construction sector, which is where we're both from, yeah. I'm sort of still got one leg in it, we're still both legs in yeah. it, is uh, what to do with the, the data mm. lakes or oceans and whether there's any value in shift one organisation sharing with another, mm. um, how do we find the value, mm -hmm. is the real value in it. Give me your, give me your thoughts on that whole piece. Huge, huge topic, um, and it's not just the construction industry, but the construction industry is especially bad at utilising the data that it produces because it produces an awful lot. You know, in, in the course of an average project, which may be a year and a half in planning and a year and a half in construction, there are probably thousands of documents, thousands of risk registers, uh, feasibility costs, programs that just not utilised and then we make the same mistake and there's a great study uh, by Oxford University side business school that looks at the success rates of projects yes um, which basically says that the chances of a project finished on time on budget and to the benefits that are under the business case is one in 200 so we've got somewhere to go it's not like we're sitting here saying everything's fine we don't need to do anything you know we can definitely get better and the key to that is data now the problem is I think that um, there are various organisations and various um, initiatives to collect data, but there's just not enough data. You, you, if you took every single construction project that was built in the UK, we're not talking about billions and billions of data points. We're still talking probably in the thousands. And of course, in construction, as you all know, once you get past three, five years, that data is probably, the, the usefulness of that data goes down because things have changed, building regulators have changed. So you're constantly fighting this battle against having a decent data set. And when you split that data set into sectors and subsectors, it gets even lower and lower. So I've always maintained that the way to improve the industry as a whole is to share data. And there's a cultural barrier there because people think there's some inherent value in the data as it stands. But actually there isn't. 
because there's not enough there in, 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 in itself. But if you share it with the rest of the industry, then we can all benefit from being able to predict things better, whether that's cost, whether that's schedule, whether that's benefits or, or risks. And there are some initiatives taking place. So there's the Construction Data Trust, which has struggled to gain momentum because of the exact reasons I've talked about. I know the IPA, the Infrastructure Projects Authority, is um, trialling at the moment their own benchmarking service. So that's getting all the government data from the various uh, departments, whether that's MOD, MOJ, bringing it in, and that will be publicly available. You've of course got BCIS, you know, they've been doing it for a long, long time, but they're, they're now a private company. Um, so there are people doing it, but my worry is, is that we're not doing it fast enough. And whilst all that's happening, you've got the big data companies, the likes of Autodesk, the likes of Microsoft, sucking all our data in whether we like it or not and we don't even realize it you know you sign a, a license agreement with autodesk and you basically say yeah you can use all the data we upload so we haven't really got time to argue amongst ourselves whether we should hoard this or for ourselves or not we've really got to get to grips with it so any initiative that um kind of helps that move along i'm all for and you know part, part of my role is uh, the current chair of the project data analytics task force we put on some of these hackathons and we try and, uh, um, you know, uh, tell people and, and communicate around the benefits of data. But it, it's, it's difficult, you know, it's difficult. There is this cultural barrier there at the moment. But uh, the IPA thing, I think, is something worth looking out for. It's a really interesting concept to me that these initiatives are about improving efficiency of the uh, industry as a whole because mm-hmm. what I think the thesis of what you're saying or your reporting is that you know, if we collect all the data together everyone's going to benefit but no one's going to get an advantage Yeah. and construction uh, I'm sure you're aware is low margin it's highly competitive from the point of view well it just has to be because that's the way the market works mm-hmm. uh, you've got this issue that people think their data gives them an advantage but it's insufficient to yeah. find the real advantage, the real efficiencies typically but they don't want to share it because they think any advantage they have got is gone if it goes to yeah, and I think the industry. it's a combination of them that want, want to share it, and sometimes they don't actually have it in order to share as well. You know, we talked about data lakes, but it's more like a data swamp in most organisations. There's just lots of spreadsheets. So even if you've got some people who are willing to share it, they, they often don't have it readily available. So we've got to help, and that's one of the things that we're doing within the task force, is to help people understand how to bring their data how to improve people's data literacy skills. There's, there's two routes to this. There's the top-down approach in terms of coming from government. And we know that there's, there's certain um, areas of the government which are starting to dictate that within, within the invitations tenders that people have to supply their data. But I think it's also come from the bottom up in terms of bringing people into the industry who've got the data skills, who can get the data into a decent order that if someone has got the ability to share, they, they then are able to share easily. So it, I think if we do both those things, and then the third one is being aware of where you're putting your data in, because the easiest thing at the moment is to sign up to a third-party SaaS platform and then give all the data to them. And we know that there's people doing that, the likes of NPlan and 
and the likes of nodes and link, you know, they'll be using data from projects to fine-tune their own models and then send it back to the industry. So we've got people going to this with our eyes open. That goes your eyes open. That's been a really interesting little, uh, talk around data sharing. Yeah. And now there's another part of uh, your portfolio which uh, I'm interested to hear your views on, which is really the use of predictive analytics, mm-hmm. whether that's for cash flow forecasting construction, presumably yeah. or for any predictive analysis required yeah. in business. What, what's what's the insights you've gained on that? So, going back to uh, the construction industry specifically, again, we've been pretty poor at at not utilising the data. So, if you think of the average uh, site progress meeting, for instance, it typically typically consists of people going into a room, looking at what has gone wrong in the month, you've lost another week, the budget's gone up, and then working out usually whose fault it was, and then... By that point, you've probably done a meeting. So that's not the best use of time. If we can change that around, use predictive analytics, rather than looking at what went wrong in the month and then working out who was to blame, yes, let's use predictive analytics to look at what the red flags are coming up using these algorithms and what have you, so you're making informed data-driven decisions about what's likely to happen. That's a much better use of people's time. It is. But are the tools currently available that allow that to happen? Well, they're becoming available. And like, even if you were to talk about things like Power BI, um, which is a relatively easy kind of entry point, you know, you can do uh, quite simple uh, regression analysis within that. So that's predictive analysis yeah. using past data and projects. And, you know, we've seen people being able to produce very impressive dashboards on a project. And I'm not talking about... Unfortunately, dashboards have got a bit of a bad name. And I heard someone use the phrase dashboard graveyards because they're not really thinking about what they're trying to do with the dashboard. They're just creating a dashboard so they can, something looks flash and everything. But if you use it um, intently and you know what you're trying to do, you know you're going into a site meeting and you know you want to predict what's going to be happening and use it for that purpose. I've seen some really good examples across the industry of being people being able to do that. And it changes the dynamic of that meeting. So there's that. But then there's a lot of kind of third-party uh, um, tools out there as well. And of course, even within ChatGPT, the latest version has got the uh, statistical analysis within it. So again, you've got to be really careful what you put into it. But that's starting to enable you to uh, upload data, not just text, and it be able to report on that. So I think the tools are available. But people, okay, you go back to the cultural thing. I think people were creatures of habit. And it's hard to change out of that kind of, I've been doing this for years and actually I need to change the focus of these site meetings and use, use these amazing tools. And I think of them as magic, you know, being able to, some of the things that we're able to do, it feels like magic. And then, but you can put it to really good use. You go into a meeting and actually change the whole dynamic of the meeting to a positive thing, making really key decisions about what's going to help the project. James, on that positive note, I thank you very much for coming on and I'll say goodbye to our viewers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Terrific.